night we remember and commemorate Jesus' death for us on the cross, we're going to take extended time in our service to hear Mark's account of Good Friday. And as we do so, may the Lord open our hearts to consider anew what God accomplished for his people through Christ's death and how dearly it cost him. The beautiful hymn that the strings just played reads this line. My Savior's love to me is love to the loveless shown that they might lovely be. That's us. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Praise him for that. Let's open our service by praying together. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the wondrous gift of your Son, we thank you for the amazing gift of your word that we can read and hear and experience together as a church body. Holy Spirit, would you shine light on Jesus so that we can see him more clearly today, that we might know your love more fully and in turn love you and others more completely. In Jesus' name, amen. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to deeply, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. 
The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Please stand. Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with human hands, and in three days we'll build another not made with hands. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent 
and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses, he asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you're a Galilean. He began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release you to the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. 
Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Please stand. Oh, see. 
soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. 
He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Luma Sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled the sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Please stand. No, no, no. 
resurrection. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His wounds have made my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom, his wounds have paid my Have you ever wondered why do we call Good Friday good? Doesn't Good Friday remind us of the bloody, unjust, cruel, despicable, painful, and lonely crucifixion of Jesus, our Messiah? What is good about seeing the second person of the Trinity experiencing public shame and being rejected by the very people he loved, betrayed by his closest friends, and dying like a criminal? Why is Good Friday good? Well, I want to argue that it's precisely that what makes Good Friday good. It is being able to see Jesus, the Messiah, the eternal God, the one, the one and perfect Son of the Father, the righteous one, the begotten Son, the King of kings, the bread of life, and the Redeemer, experiencing all that pain, injustice, cruelty, loneliness, shame, and rejection, and choosing to stay there. What makes Good Friday good is that we see the Almighty staying at the cross. See, I hope you know that Jesus didn't have to stay there. See, I hope you know that Jesus had the power to avoid the cross or to escape from the cross, and yet he didn't. What is interesting is that the Bible tells us that not only he chose to stay there, but he chose to, to die there. See, Luke chapter 23 paints Jesus talking to the Father and saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. Did you know that the cross did not kill Jesus? Did you know that Jesus surrendered his life at the cross? 
Did you know that Jesus not only had control over everything, but also had control over when to die? And he chose to die. The question that I'm trying to answer tonight is why? Why would Jesus choose to stay at the cross? Why would Jesus choose to die? And I think that the Bible, the most, the, the most simple answer I could give you that the Bible gives is that Jesus did that because he is a God of forgiveness. And part of the reason why I say that is because Luke chapter 23, verse 33 says that when they came to the, to the place called the skull, they crucified Jesus there. And Jesus makes this prayer, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. You know what I find intriguing about that, about that prayer? Is that you got to ask the question, who is Jesus talking about there? Who is Jesus forgiving there? Who are the them? And I want to invite you to consider that there are four groups of people that Jesus has in mind when he's making that prayer. I want to invite you to consider that when he's making that prayer about forgiveness, he's thinking about the skeptic, the religious, the seeker, and the desperate. I want to invite you to consider that when Jesus is asking for forgiveness, he's asking for forgiveness for these four groups of people. Let's look at the first one here, the skeptic. In Luke chapter 23, verse 35 says that when Jesus was crucified... The people stood there watching, and the rulers even sneered at him, and they said, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. When the Bible talks about the rulers there, it's obviously talking about the religious leaders of the time. And I put this group in a category of the skeptics because even though they had plenty of information, plenty of evidences that Jesus was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, they chose to ignore all of that and they chose to crucify him. Did you notice the word if? The word if there is not... Because these people are seeking for answers. The word if is there to show us that even though they had the evidences of the reality of Jesus, they chose not to believe. That's why there were the skeptics. The skeptics are not looking for answers. The skeptics choose not to believe. You know what I find crazy about that statement? Is that even though these people chose to reject him, Jesus chooses to stay on the cross for them, Jesus chooses to pray for them, and Jesus chooses to die for them. That's what makes Good Friday good. It paints the picture of a good God forgiving not-so-good people even when those not-so-good people have chosen to reject the one that is truly good. Don't you think that all of us here have a little bit of a skepticism in our hearts? So if that is you, let me ask you this question. Has anybody loved you enough to welcome you in even when you don't want anything to do with them? Has anybody loved you enough 
to welcome you in even though you have chosen to reject it, him or her. Has anybody loved you that much? This is why we celebrate Good Friday. That's why Good Friday is so good because Jesus did. The second group of people that we have there is the religious. In Luke chapter 23, verse uh, 39, it says that one of the criminals who was hung there next to Jesus was insulting him, and he says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Now, notice that the attitude of this man is not an attitude of reverence or respect. Notice that the only reason why he's there and the reason why he's speaking to Jesus is because he sees Jesus as, the mean, as a means to an end. Save yourself and save me. Isn't that what a religious person is? See, a religious person loves the hand of God but does not love his heart. A religious person has a conditional or transactional relationship with God. You do your part, I'll do my part. A religious person does not find God beautiful, just useful. A religious person can see a weeping Savior, and the only person he cares about is himself. You know what I find amazing about that picture? That this criminal is choosing to use Jesus. He's choosing to see him as a means to an end. And yet Jesus is choosing to stay on the cross for him. He's choosing to pray for him. And he's choosing to die for him. That's why Good Friday is so good. He paints a picture of a good God forgiving not so good people. Even when these not so good people have chosen to use the one that is truly good. Don't you think that we all have a little bit of a religious heart ourselves? Don't you think that sometimes we want the hand of God and we don't want his heart as much? If that's your case, as it is my case, let me ask you this question. Has anybody loved you enough to welcome you in even when they know that you're using them? Has anybody loved you that much? That's why Good Friday is so good. Jesus did. The third group of people here are the seekers. In Luke chapter 23, verse 47, it says that a centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. Now, the reason why I call this man the seeker is because he seems to be making a confession. He seems to be attracted to Jesus. But does that make him a Christian? Actually, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 27 says that not only he saw that Jesus was a righteous man, but he actually confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. And someone may ask, well, that's the evidence that he converted into Christianity. And I want to make the argument that it is possible to praise God it is possible to know a lot about God. It's possible to know who Jesus is and does. It is possible to be interested in Jesus the same way the devil is interested in Jesus. But not to be convinced by Jesus. See, the seeker is interested. 
not convinced just yet. I think it's important to understand the difference between being interested and convinced. You know what I find fascinating about that image? That even though the centurion might not be convinced just yet, even though the centurion is not choosing to surrender to Jesus just yet, Jesus is choosing to stay on the cross for him. Jesus is choosing to pray for him. And Jesus is choosing to die for him. For the one that does not truly love him just yet. That's why Good Friday is such a good celebration. It paints a picture of a good God forgiving not-so-good people, even when those not-so-good people are not convinced just yet that he is truly good. And there's a fourth group of people, which are, I call the desperate ones. And we're going to see here in a second is that the skeptic, the religious, and the seeker need to learn a lot from this desperate person. See, Jesus at the cross offers forgiveness, but only the desperate embraces that forgiveness. Look at what Luke chapter 23, verse 41 says. This is this criminal crucified on the other side of Jesus, and he says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, talking about Jesus, has done nothing wrong. See, this man, this desperate man, understands something that the skeptic, the skeptic, the religious, and the seeker do not understand. This is what he understands. That he deserves to be there. He understands that there's only one person who doesn't deserve to be at the cross. And that is Jesus. But he understands that he deserves to be there. He understands that he's guilty. He's honest enough to recognize that his deeds deserve the punishment of God. He understands that he's not as good as he thinks he is. That he's not as loving as he thinks he is. He understands that his thoughts, words, actions, and motivations are a reflection of your heart. He understands that there's nothing to pretend he understands that deep down inside, he's a broken man. He understands that if people could see his thoughts, he would be ashamed. That's why he's a desperate man. No excuses, no pretension, just desperation. You know why that's important? Because only desperate people need a savior. And this is why he cries out to Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which Jesus answered, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Notice that this is a confession and a plea. Please, Jesus, forgive me. I know that I deserve to be here. 
Remember me. Do you know why Good Friday is so good? Because he paints a picture of a good God forgiving a not so good person. A good God being willing to forgive the ones that have rejected him. A good God that is willing to forgive the, one that, the ones that have used him. A good God that is willing to forgive the ones that are, com- that are not convinced just yet. A good God that is willing to forgive the ones that are guilty. Are you desperate enough? If you're not desperate enough, Good Friday is not just as good just yet. You know what Jesus says to him? Jesus doesn't say, if you want to fix your life, go to church. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to fix your life, read your Bible. Jesus doesn't say, if you want to fix your life, memorize the scripture. Jesus doesn't say, in order for you to be forgiven, you need to give and serve. You know what Jesus says to him once he sees that he has repented and he believes? The only two things that are required in the Bible is to repent and to believe. This is what Jesus says. Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. That's why Good Friday is so good. It's never too late. Even if you're about to die. It's never too late. It shows you this beautiful God that forgives the unforgivable. It paints this picture of this beautiful Jesus that is not ashamed of loving and accepting the rejected. It paints this picture of this Jesus that promises not just the forgiveness of sins, but eternity with him, paradise with him. You see, the desperate is completely different to everybody else. The skeptic needs to understand first in order to believe. The desperate knows that he needs Jesus in order to understand. See, the religious uses Jesus as a means to an end, but the desperate sees in Jesus someone so amazing, so beautiful, so perfect, so merciful and so good, that is the end of all means. See, the seeker is holding back because he's just not yet, he's not convinced just yet. But the desperate does not hold anything back. The question is why? Because he sees in this Jesus, the one that is not holding anything back. Do you know why we participate in communion? Because we need to see that Jesus time and time again. See, at the cross, we see Jesus despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering, familiar with pain, and yet he chose to stay there and he chose to die. See, at the cross, we see Jesus despised, and we held him in low esteem, and yet he chose to stay there, and he chose to die. See, at the cross, 
We see Jesus taking our pain, bearing our suffering, considered punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, and yet he chose to stay there and he chose to die. See, at the cross, we see Jesus pierced for our transgression, crushed for our iniquities, and yet he chose to stay there and he chose to die. See, at the cross, we see Jesus taking the iniquity of us all. We see him oppressed like a lamb to the slaughter. And yet he chose to stay there and he chose to die. Do you know why Good Friday is so good? Because Jesus didn't hold anything back. Because he chose you before he chose himself. Can you see why Good Friday is so good? Are you desperate enough? Are you desperate enough? I want to invite you to participate in communion tonight. But communion... It's for the desperate people. If you see yourself as a desperate person, then you surrender your life to Jesus. You don't need answers. You just need to believe. You don't need to be convinced. You're already convinced. You don't need to use Jesus. You already have him. If that's you, communion is for you. If that's not you, I want to invite you to surrender your life to him. So I'm going to ask you to hold this in your hand. Grab your cup that you came when you were coming in into the sanctuary. And before participating, as we get ready to participate, I'm going to ask you to remove the first uh, cover of the cup. But as we do before participating, I would like you to take the time to answer the question, am I desperate enough? Do I fall in the category of the skeptic, the religious, or the seeker? If that is you, take some time to repent and believe.
Look at what Jesus says to desperate people. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You may participate. The second cover of your cup. And listen to what Jesus says to desperate people. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. You may participate. Lord, we pray that just as these elements enter into our body, May the reality of the gospel, Jesus Christ dying in our place, enter into our soul. And we all say? We stand for our last song together.
It was preparation day, that is the day before Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb.
Do you know who Jesus was thinking of when he said, Father, please forgive them? You and me. And that's why we're here today. As you exit the sanctuary, I'm going to ask you to, keep, to do it in silence and with an attitude of meditation and contemplation. Thanks for coming.